Hi, welcome everyone out there in podcast land. Uh, we are the Killer Cabin, located across the way from Crystal Lake, uh, about 10 miles west of Amityville. I am Katrina. And I'm Matt. And we are just a couple of film nerds who like to talk about horror movies. Welcome to our inaugural episode. Um, I am a film scholar with a bachelor's degree in film studies. And I am just the guy that has been watching horror movies for the last 33 years. So what movie are we doing this week? We are doing uh, Your Next. It is a film directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett. has a number of really interesting uh, uh, acting choices and cameos, including uh, a small role by Ty West. And it's just kind of a an overall little neat film. So let's just dive right in. Where should we start? Well, first I want to give people a little warning here. Uh, we're doing some deep film analysis. So that's going to require us to uh, um, go into some spoiler territory. Yeah, if you haven't seen the film, you might want to pause and give the film a watch. Or have us on in the background and watch at the same time and drive yourself crazy like that. Whichever works for you. I really suggest watching the movie first. Um, it is a good film to watch. Uh, uh, now that we got the uh, spoilers out of the way. Should we just do a general synopsis? Yeah, why don't we do a general synopsis here? Sure. Uh, do you want to go ahead or should I? Uh, you can go ahead. Sure. So uh, the film starts with a an older man and a younger woman uh, in bed together. And the younger woman is obviously not having a great time. Um, the the performance is subpar. <laughs> not, the, not the acting. The acting is actually pretty good. Great acting. Great actually. acting. Great, yeah. great job of telling us that she's not having a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, she he gets up and goes to take a shower. She gets up to go make herself a drink. And... Um, then one of our villains appears and murders the shit out of her off screen. Um, and then, uh, the guy comes out of the shower and gets murdered with a machete on screen. Yeah. And there's, and there's a fun, fun little fact about this opening scene. Um, I actually believe that it's a reshoot because they shot a different scene, a different opener and it was going to be. Uh, that same older man, but uh, with a dog, not doing the same thing, <laughs> but um, just his do his dog is the one murdered. Oh, okay. okay, and uh, they had a little note from the producers saying, "No, we don't we don't want to see a dog murdered," which is a common thing that people say, but it, having an animal being murdered is kind of a, you know, it, it's something that's non-human to start with. I, I do think that it, having it be a lady murdered first, swapping out lady for dog is kind of weird. <laughs> kind of problematic. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, but one more thing before going back to it, uh, that opening right there, was actually a writer, uh, writer, director, and star in a movie called uh, uh, Habit. Okay. 
a movie about a guy that has a relationship with a vampire. Okay. That is a uh, um, metaphor for his relationship with cocaine, I believe. Oh, interesting. And uh, um, uh, for those, it, it, it's on Shudder, and they have a, a, a great episode of uh, um, Joe Bob's Drive-In all about it. Oh, interesting. Interesting. But, um, but yeah... That's the first of many writers, directors, and people deep in the industry that's going to show up mm-hmm. in this movie yeah. to let you go on. No, that's fine. Um, so um, the film then continues with uh, an older couple um, coming to their kind of retirement home to celebrate their 35th anniversary. Um, uh, they pass by the first house that we saw in the opening, but don't think anything of it. Um, they just make comments that it's, you know, an older professor begging his student. Um, and then they go to their house, and immediately um, one of the first clues that something is off is that the door is unlocked. Um, the wife starts to panic uh, after a little bit, thinking that there's someone in the house. Um, in the meanwhile... Our two main protagonists, uh, Crispin and Aaron, uh, are driving to meet um, Crispin's parents, who are the older couple I discussed, um, to come celebrate their anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, they come, they decide to be, get some alcohol on the way. It's revealed that Crispin's parents are loaded because Crispin's dad works for an arms dealing company, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, rushing along here because I want to get into the analysis. Um, yeah. The uh, rest of the siblings show up, including um, Amy and her boyfriend, played by Ty West, who is a filmmaker, which is kind of a funny nod to um, the the construction of the film. And then uh, a bunch of hired goons in animal masks come in and try to slaughter them. Um, And you think it's a kind of a standard home invasion movie starting out for a while. Uh, but then Aaron, our female protagonist, turns the tables by apparently being a survivalist kid and totally murdering the shit out of these hired goons. Um, things don't turn out very well for her, though, because the cops show up and shoot her and get axed in the face. Roll credits. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound like a complicated movie, but I really think... You would be wrong in assuming that it's not. Oh, it's a very... of that synopsis. It's a very, very complicated movie because there's a lot of twists and turns in there. Oh, absolutely. Um, I really and um, like starting once his older brother brother Drake shows up, it really sets the scene. Where it becomes a uh, um, kind of a, a, a verbal sparring that starts. Absolutely, Drake comes in and he's uh, and he's automatically the antagonist. It feels like um, he uh, calls Crispin fat, even though Crispin is kind of an average-sized guy with a round face. Yeah, he's, um, he's got a pudgy face. He's got a pudgy face, but he's not a fat guy. No, he's a regular dude. I mean, <laughs> I, this is this is. Me, coming from me, a very fat person. So, I don't think Crispin's fat. 
but um, he, um, but Drake is uh, obviously has something, some sort of background in mixed martial arts because they're watching a mixed martial arts match when we he's introduced, and he keeps talking about athleticism, keeps talking about um, the right way to do things throughout the film. Yeah, and I think it it's very a very good decision on their part to uh, stick an arrow right in his shoulder, right on the onset. The first, like the, I think it's the second uh, crossbow bolt that hits gets stuck right into his shoulder. The first one goes into Ty West's brain. Yes. Um, Remember for people that are unfamiliar, Ty West is the writer and director of the X series that currently has X and uh, Pearl and is going to have Maxine later this year. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can uh, uh, cover some of, some of those later. Absolutely. That but, is one of our goals. Um, but um, just going through our notes, um, the, as we were talking about Drake, um, the, that's the, the, the the first bit of violence we see is is the verbal violence initiated by Drake, mm-hmm. um, and during the the anniversary dinner, um, Drake initiates more verbal sparring, more verbal violence by uh, making fun of uh, Tariq, uh, uh, Ty West character, mm-hmm. uh, for being a documentary filmmaker, um, and then makes fun of um, of Crispin and Aaron for being another student teacher relationship because Crispin was uh, Aaron's professor uh, in a TA uh, relationship. If it, it, and when you watch it very carefully, you can see kind of this uh, flash of jealousy over his eyes when Chris, when uh, Crispin interacts with um, Aaron throughout Mm. The dinner, uh, whenever Aaron giggles, it, you can kind of see the hackles on the back of his neck raise up practically because it, you can tell it annoys him. Yes, because it's outside the status quo and, and Drake is all about the status quo. I think no matter what, if if Crispin's happy, he's going to be... If Crispin could have a completely not... Like somebody his exact age... And somebody his exact same status, and I think it's st- he still would find a reason to pick on. He would he would make fun of her being fat or something, even yeah. though <laughs> you know the actress the actress Sharni Vincent very very slim. <laughs> yeah, but he, he would he would find something. He would find something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because um, the the animosity between the the siblings. Is is one of the the the, the themes and um, connecting parts of the entire film. Um, the the it's one of the, one of the most striking things that I um, really caught my attention when watching the film. Not just the first time, but the second time, is that even after the physical violence starts, the verbal violence doesn't stop. There, there's no banding together. There's no Oh, shit's hit the fan. We have to, 
you have to work together. It's no, your this is my idea and it works better. No, this is my idea and it works better. Well, and we we still haven't discussed the twist, right? And that twist being that Crispin and his younger, I I believe the youngest, yeah, the youngest sibling, Felix, Felix. yep, um, is actually in on it. They're the ones that hired the the rather incompetent goons um, mm. to carry out this home invasion murder spree. Yeah, and when you see them at first in action, you might start thinking that there's some people that know what they're doing. But uh, for anybody that has been around some Ren Fair guys, and I think we've both had our fair mm-hmm. share of talking to Renfair people, people that know how to go hand-to-hand, people who know how to use weapons and crossbows, they would tell you the the weapons to use in an indoor situation are not included in any of the weapons that they use. No, the wep- their weapons of choice are a machete, which is... You know, maybe the closest thing to what you want to use, but it's still a would, big unwieldy yeah. blade. Um, not not even an axe, but a wood maul. Yeah, a wood splitter. This thing uh, is like half sledgehammer. Yeah, and then a crossbow, which and not even like a light crossbow, but a big hunting crossbow that takes forever to reload. And at the end, the. My selling point for why you shouldn't use this thing indoors, which I shouldn't have to sell that, but my selling point is they're walking through, she's walking through the door at the end of the film, uh, Z, Mm -hmm. Felix's girlfriend, and she has to canter it to the, the, uh, um, bow to the side so that the arms of the bow can make it through the door. Mm Mm-hmm. That and of course, because it's so long, the front of the bow c- can be seen before she enters. Mm-hmm. So Aaron has every opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, just wreck her shit yep. and wreck her shit. She does. Yep. Um. Yeah. It's it was. Uh, that was that was a, a just fierce uh, battle there that happened once they got into that uh, um, uh, kitchen. Yeah, uh, the the three way battle between Aaron, Felix, and Z, um, I think, um, really makes uh, the film interesting and keeps it interesting towards the climax. Um, the only complaint I have is that. The, the the way that Aaron kills Felix with a blender seems out of place to the rest of the film. All the yeah. other deaths seem very practical and clean from Aaron. That one was just a desperate improvisation. It was, it was very um, last house on the left. Sure. Very, very reminiscent of Wes Craven's uh, first outing. Sure. There. Um, but that's a it, you know it's a, it's a little crass a little uh gory but 
I think their goal for the their their vision for the movie was to move from being this um, almost a, a, a comedy off kilter family drama and and abruptly shift and then go deeper and deeper into the horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, when I watched this the second time, I watched with um, a friend of mine who um, isn't as big into the horror genre, but loves to watch and analyze movies. And he made the comment that um, it almost doesn't feel like a, a straight horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of um, billed as this deconstruction of the slasher and home invasion genre, but it doesn't quite feel like that. It never quite gets to that level of horror. They they temper it with comedy, um, and I think that's actually strengthens the film um, because it it prevents the film from taking itself too seriously. And I think that this film needs to be taken with a little bit of of, of, of jocularity, a little bit of levity, a little bit of uh, um, a light heart, mm-hmm. um, d- despite how. Uh, intense it can get mm-hmm. um but uh it, it it really helps that the writer had um is is actually kind of known for having a dark cynical humor mm-hmm. which pairs just perfectly with it um and by the way uh simon barrett was uh tiger face the first Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first of the incompetent home invaders in just a perfect scene that shows first it, it tips with with Ty West getting an arrow to the head, mm-hmm. but it kicks up another notch, and you find that it, that is where you find out that Aaron knows how to fight. Yeah. When he when Tigerface has gotten his hand stabbed and he comes through that window. Yep. And Aaron just takes the meat tenderizer and well tenderizes him. Yeah. And you can you can tell that's also um is the where a lot of the uh, um uh their cinematic choices the camera angles, art, uh, well, of course, art direction, because everything mm-hmm. around them starts to degrade and get busted up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, also, very notably, the music choices. Yes. It's, it goes from, I barely even noticed any music, mm-hmm. except for... Um, uh, what is it? Lost in the Magic? Yeah. Um, the song that they play in the opening scene. Which then comes back when... Uh, every when, time they're close to that house. Every time they're close to that house. Because it, it's that diage- uh, diagenic yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with that term, diagenic music is music that is happening inside the continuity of the film. Yeah, so so music that, that, that the characters can also hear. Yeah, and 
of course it's this unnerving thing. It's kind of like I've seen where um, objects or people seem to have their own soundtrack that follows them, but this is one of the first times where a place has a repeating soundtrack. Yeah, literally on repeat because yeah, the the CD player is stuck on repeat. Um, mm-hmm. And they they the killers just decided not to change it, and they stayed there and waited to uh, murder people that came close. <laughs> exactly. Um, so um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the recurring theme that I noticed of inappropriate relationships. You know, it's yeah. it, it starts in the beginning with you know this young student and this older professor um, having an unsatisfying. Um, relationship. Um, we have Crispin with Aaron, uh, another again, another professor-student relationship. Um, we have Amy's relationship with 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 uh, Ty West character, a professional with a starving artist um, mm-hmm. uh, underling. Um, each each relationship unsatisfying in some way, um, but uh, very important. It, what I want to touch on is that. Uh, it it talks about, and I think this is a big theme in the movie, is the imbalance of power. That yeah. one that one individual has more power over the other, and that and that that is, I think, the main transgression, which is why the horror occurs. Um, and the it, sorry, go ahead. If if you see early in in the film before uh when they're giving you all of these cues including the uh um the picture the family picture did you notice how all of the siblings were turned towards Felix and Felix is facing straight at mm-hmm. the camera mm-hmm. and that right there suggests this odd because both the parents are both facing the camera and Felix is and the rest of the family's turned towards Felix yeah so it, it suggests this weird power imbalance that somehow the youngest member of this family is calling all the shots. Oh yeah, well, and uh, it's it's as it's revealed towards the end of the film, it's not Crispin's idea to betray the family. No. It's Felix's. Felix is the mastermind. Yeah, Crispin is a very weak person. He really is. <laughs> um and. Although it, it it hints at a power imbalance between Aaron and Crispin, but you kind of find out, I think Aaron was kind of playing him the whole time. Oh, absolutely. I she think... wanted to play the the, the playful little schoolgirl. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that that Aaron was using Crispin at an attempt at a normal life. Mm-hmm. At at this fairy tale fantasy of um you know the the man makes the money and the woman um, has her, her own little side thing, and I, I think think that that because you know it's revealed throughout the film that Aaron's upbringing was wildly uh, unorthodox. You know, growing up as in a survivalist camp in the Australian outback, um, so that craving towards some sort of normalcy, I think. Um, Definitely is is what um, well, she's 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 trying to manipulate out of Christmas, and she even has that 
scene where um, she is crawling into bed with Crispin, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you can tell she's she's giddy at the idea of meeting someone else's family. Yeah, because she does not she does she does isn't happy with with her childhood her family right and uh chris crispin is sitting there and i've i don't know about you but i've had this situation where i introduce people to my family mm-hmm. and they're everybody's like wow your family seems really normal mm-hmm. it seems like a happy and you know not saying that they aren't or anything, but just that you you don't really think about it that way, right? Right. You're you're more immersed in this backstory that's twenty, thirty, forty years old mm-hmm. of you with your um, family. Meanwhile, they just meet them on surface, and uh, um, that's a, a a very good representation here. Yeah, of that. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that scene uh, because I think that is also one of the first bits of foreshadowing we get that Crispin is in on it um, because he is clearly uncomfortable during that whole exchange. Aaron is excited to meet his family, excited to get to know where Crispin came from. Meanwhile, Crispin is plotting to murder the whole lot of them. And, yeah. and he is visibly uncomfortable, yeah. which in your first viewing of the film, if you don't know what's going on, it just it, seems like he's it, uncomfortable. It just means yeah. he's uncomfortable introducing his girlfriend to the family. Well, I, I, and, and uh, that kind of leads into this aspect, uh, like in the first viewing of the film, you when you see Z and uh, Felix for the first time. Mm-hmm. You see uh, Felix being this, you know, the smaller, the smallest brother, mm-hmm. the, you know, kind of unassuming and his um, uh, almost goth girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, um, I, I don't know for sure, but I think I saw the Deathly Hallows necklace on her. Yeah, I, I don't think um, I remember that. I, I saw a triangle. I could. I tried to get closer, but I, cu- I couldn't see a, a good shot of it. No, I Because once, yeah. once she took her outer layers off, things were moving really fast. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was too hard to tell, for sure. But, but yeah. Um, sorry, that was my phone. We'll edit that out. Um, <laughs> Or we'll leave it in as a blooper. It'll be fine. Um, but um, I, I think one of the the, the really interesting bits um, that I, I enjoy is that um, Z does a terrible job of hiding. She's giggling. She's she's, 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 she's she's giddy during the fight and during the dinner. She's obviously um, enjoying every moment of it. Being like Drake is going to get his during the prayer, um, she's, yeah. She's like, <laughs> these people are going to die. This is funny. And and um, I think Adam Wingard really shows uh, I, either 
either it was the actress of Z or the director, Adam Wingard, pulling out a perfect performance from her. Mm-hmm. It, it, very, it gets very hard to tell at this point. Mm-hmm. But kind of coaching... I, I, I like to think that that he had an idea and went with it on this, but all of the small things she does, these little side glances mm-hmm. to Felix, whenever she like has to grab somebody's hand or something for the prayer, mm-hmm. she's just kind of got this little smile across her face the whole time. Yep. Yep. And that of course that all pays off uh when they have the bedroom scene. Yep. The very awkward bedroom scene. The very awkward bedroom scene. Where (laughs) she is like, come on, screw me next to your dead mother. And Felix is like, no. And she's like, you never let me do anything interesting. And Felix is like, that's not a fair assessment of what just happened. (laughs) (laughs) And it is is a very interesting... uh, to see this dynamic because it almost seems like like oh you won't bring me to the farmer's market we never do anything fun (laughs) is the way she's talking about it but it is no you will not have sex next to your dead mother's body right what a mood kill (laughs) right and then right after that she pulls uh she she pulls Felix Felix's mother's uh, wedding ring right off her hand, yep. off her dead hand. Yep, and puts it on. Yeah, it, it is a very interesting um, uh, to see uh, these small character building moments. Yeah, well, and and I think that um, that's just another example of, of of power differential in relationships. Z is obviously the one wearing the pants in that relationship. Very much so. Like, I would not be surprised. Like, it's my headcanon that Z is the one who suggested to Felix, hey, let's kill your parents for money. And I want to add to that headcanon. I think that that she connected with these killers because I think she did... She... One of her drug buddies Mm -hmm. is... Foxface, because sure. once he takes off that mask, it's pretty evident that this is a guy that the, the way he acts, moves, has like a glazed over look the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's on something. He's on some sort of drugs. Uh, that, that That's what seems to be portrayed. Right. And just the way that he is distractedly listening to music when Felix chides him for killing his dad in front of him. Yeah. He's like, but, what, did you say something? Yeah, it's like he's at work and he's listening to music when he's not supposed to be. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's like, like, please do not listen to music on the floor. <laughs> right. Um, although it's, it's it, uh, the the dynamics of of this these this trio of killers, um, who this is obviously not their day job. No, um, they are not experienced home invaders. They are not experienced killers. There are little hints here and there that make you think they might be, like staking out the place, setting things up, uh, s- sleeping in the closet and peeing in a bottle. You know, yeah. The, the 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 dedication makes you think that oh, maybe these people know what they're doing, but they don't. 
Um, mm-hmm. um, it, it's well, it's revealed through the dialogue that they both that they all three have served overseas together, and that's how they know each other. But I think that is is a, a commentary on uh, overconfidence and toxic masculinity that these people think that because they've seen combat or not even seen combat, but just served overseas, that they know how to do this sort of thing. Yeah, I think this is very much a um, cinematic uh, example of Dunning-Kruger's. Mm. Um, for those that don't know what uh, Dunning-Kruger's is, is the more you, the less you know, the more confident you are. Yep. And there's that little bell, that little sweet spot where you know just enough to make yourself think you know everything. Yep. And that's where these guys are. And uh, um, I kind of have, uh, being a, a, a true crime nut also, um, a lot of serial killers actually have military experience but never saw combat. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them will get kicked. Like... Uh, um, uh, Dahmer uh, went through basic and then got kicked out for drinking way too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, um, that is just kind of this um, kind of gives you an idea that this is that that's what they're going for here, that these guys just really didn't know what they were doing. Right. Um, let's see. Um uh, just a lot of foreshadowing with uh, Felix and Crispin. Um, their their look of horror uh, with the first death of of uh, Ty West character. Um, that look of horror and regret. I think the the regret is, is is obvious on the second viewing. That they're like, oh shit, are we really doing this? Yeah. Um, and then of course things just escalate and. Felix and Z get into it and are like, we're along for the ride. Let's just keep going. Whereas Crispin obviously has to get out of there because he is, um, he does not have the constitution to follow through. No, he does not. And uh, um, it's, it's very just obvious to see that he doesn't have the follow through for it. And kind of gives you a feel that it's another aspect of his character not getting that fellowship mm-hmm. at work not following through um but i also uh, kind of headcanon for me is i i think that his relationship with aaron had something to do with that fellowship sure so i kind of feel like it all comes back to that uh, um mm-hmm. uh to Aaron there mm-hmm. not not to, to to victim blame or anything but it's it, it really seems to be that it all comes back and then in his head he makes it well this is mm-hmm. right not my fault obviously because uh i got in trouble for this and it's like but it, it's kind of this 
this dissonance he has with his own action, his own actions yeah. and the consequences they have. Yeah. And, and I think the, the not accepting consequences and that overconfidence is another theme throughout the movie. We have the idea that, you know, this affluent family is completely useless in a crisis. They don't have the skills. They don't have the, 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 the survival instinct. And you have these people who have military experience who are not the trained killers that they think they are. But it's funny because he made his money as a military contractor. Exactly. Uh, as he says, though, in marketing. In marketing. In marketing. Yeah. Uh, the whole, uh, um, the, both Simon Barrett, the writer, and Adam Wingard are very good at sprinkling a lot of these um Mm -hmm. these themes throughout and bringing it all back yeah yeah um i i think because this was made uh you you of course didn't see it when it came out no my first viewing was with you yeah um this came out uh 2011 yeah uh generally released in 2013 yeah so it, it took it a while to get out there uh, I saw it uh, in the red box, I think, a little, like, 2014. But to me, this represented um, a shift in the uh, um, cinematic making of uh, um, uh, horror movies. The okay. way they were making it. To me, it represents it. Uh, some people will point their fingers at different points but uh for those that were big fans during uh the um early 2000s uh there was a bit of a flub yeah yeah there was a bit of a flub uh pretty much the bush years were not great horror movie years right right the and we're of course talking about bush number two yeah uh gw they yeah. were not great for horror movies, um, but when you get to the Obama years, it picks up, of course. And at the end of the Obama years, you have Get Out, mm. and you have fun, fun stuff like that where it really picks up. And and I like, I like to believe that in some small part, this movie had um, a hand in that. Uh, it. I mean, it's not artist. It's not like a big social commentary. No, by any reach of the mind. But no. it is very, um, very smart in how it's made. Right, and it has the a little bit of shout, of social commentary in that rich people are useless. But that's not a that's not an uncommon trope. But I'd like to say that I don't necessarily think the fact that they're rich is to make the social commentary. I think it is because if you had the same thing with a poor family, like somebody in the size house we're in right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be a short film, guys. Be a short film. <laughs> we, we we don't have a lot of how uh, a lot of rooms in here. The killer cabin <laughs> is a cabin. <laughs> um, but um the yeah um i forgot what i was gonna say sorry go ahead i was gonna say either 
So uh, this, of course, is staying in. So we're not going to edit anything out, no. Uh, uh, but um, the well, now this next thing I really want to talk about though is the ending. Um, the the uh, my friend who I watched it with the second time had the criticism that the ending seemed very rushed, very tacked on, yeah, it, and and very out of character um, because. Um, at the very end, Erin um, has her um, her her confrontation with Crispin. It's revealed that Crispin has been in on it the whole time, and Erin um, um, stabs him in the neck. Uh, Crispin asks why. She says, "Why not?" Stabs him in the eye, and then she gets shot by a police officer who just cuts caught the the tail end of the story. And then the police officer calls for backup, comes to the door, and is hit in the face with an axe that Aaron laid as a trap for the killers. Um, yep, a very home alone, very uh, home alone trap. Very home alone. It is essentially what we're talking about here with this trap. If you're one of the few people that didn't listen to us and say to go watch it, if you're just listening to this, it is one of those wood splitters set up above a doorway with a rope and a brick tied to it, which of course is going to give more than enough to go right into a skull. Yeah. So, but, um, I guess to some people that, 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 that seems out of place to the rest of the film. It does. It's almost like the filmmakers, um, the, 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 uh, comment that my friend made was that it was, Almost like the filmmakers didn't know how to end the movie. So they're like, let's just end it with a funny death. My um my counterpoint to that to is I don't think that it was it might have been a per- production note. Sure. It um for people that don't know, producers a lot of times will like to give notes and they'll have to reshoot. Yeah. Uh case in point with the the dog and the woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, that might be the situation or it might, I think it's the situation to where they were get they were moving from screwball comedy to being more and more uh, into the vein of an 80s slasher. Sure. And the most 80s slasher way you can end it, you have an axe flying down, somebody screaming, and a title card splashing across the screen. Yeah. So it, it I'd like to say, is it really out of character that much? Because it, it it's an evolution. Sure. It, it, I, I can definitely see that. To me, it seems almost Hitchcockian North by Northwest, where the ending, yeah. where the ending just happens. Just happens. Um, for those that haven't seen North by Northwest, um, the the climax reaches the end at Mount Rushmore. The hero is pulling the heroine to safety, and all of a sudden they're on a train having sex, and that's it. Just ends that way because Hitchcock, Hitchcock was like, the resolution isn't necessary. We don't need to know what happened next. Yeah. The the the, what, the important bits of the film have already happened. Let's end the film. 
Hitchcock wants to jump past that and let you know that the characters had sex. Exactly. <laughs> if you know Hitchcock, you know that's pretty much his idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, so in a way, I think that's it. It works for me, and it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I, I go back and forth on the ending. Yeah. It, um, but of course, it's it's always hard to stick. A lot, an ending. When you're not, when you're doing social commentary, I think it, it's almost easier because you you know you have to do something that relates back, right? Like the ending of you Night of a, the Living Dead. You have a theme. It's what do we do with this? Why don't we have a whole bunch of pictures showing them being assholes? Exactly. Um, not respecting the the dead. For those that don't know, <laughs> which you should know, is Night of the Living Dead has a very surprising ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get into it too much. No, just but... just go watch it. If you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, it's available streaming everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> because, of course, they did not have proper uh, you can, copyright protection. You can buy it at the dollar bin at Walmart. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, hardly suggested. Um, but uh, just a couple of things to get get to... Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts about horror movies, and one thing that they jump over a lot is the cast and the crew. And I want to spend a little bit of time pointing out how great of cast and crew, because not just before, but after, a lot of people here had great jobs Mm -hmm. um, outside of this film. the one that surprises me is uh, Sharni Vincent, uh, who doesn't really seem to have a leading type, uh, leading uh, uh, role after this. Mm. And it really surprised me. Mm. Um, but notably, uh, Drake, uh, who was played by um, Joe Swanberg, mm-hmm. is actually a um a leading and pivotal what some people would call pivotal director in the mumblecore movement right <clears throat> and and what's interesting about the mumblecore movement is it gets a lot of flack for being a white male dominated um genre without a lot of respect for female characters whereas this film the female characters are dominant mm-hmm. they're the ones in control of the action well but the uh, it, the funny thing is, is uh, Joe Swanberg is actually, I, whether or not it's worthy to give him that, I don't know, because I haven't looked into it too much. But some people credit him with giving Greta, Ger- uh, Greta Gerwig, sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but the uh, director of the Barbie movie, mm. her start, because he um, helped her get... Uh, some jobs in some of his early films. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what we're going to see across a lot of this stuff is people uh, this movie was essentially made by friends. Yeah. For only a million dollars. Yeah. And which is something that is going to carry over into Ty West's um uh X trilogy, 
mm-hmm. is he's uh, I don't know I don't know about Maxine yet because that hasn't come out yet. But in the first two uh, Ty West's X movies, both X and Pearl, mm-hmm. they um, both cost a little bit over a million. Mm-hmm. And two movies for a million. And then if you have any amount of of good box office, you're going to come out good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's what they're... That's the great thing about horror. Uh, it, it can get you those eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, if you keep that uh, overhead low... Oh, yeah. Uh, I re- which I really like to see. Um, a, a lot of things that, that uh, um, end up getting pushed... Uh, by me into this uh, series here will probably be a lot of low budget stuff that mm-hmm. made a made a splash because I really enjoy seeing that low budget. Um, actually, you you can see every <clears throat> you can see every little bit of budget on the screen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100% with your next. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think a lot of all of these directors that I've seen um, that, that are involved in this movie, even if they weren't a director in this movie, <laughs> like uh, Joe Swamberg and a lot of the, and Ty West and a lot of uh, si- uh, Simon Barrett's uh, stuff that he writes in a lot of the budget ends up getting up on the screen mm. they don't screw around i think that that's a lot why um the director uh adam wingard ended up getting picked for um because this is something he, he ended up getting picked for uh godzilla versus king kong mm-hmm. and he's doing Godzilla versus Godzilla X King Kong, because I, I think that's supposed to say that they're not enemies anymore; they're friends. Mm. Uh, I wait, perhaps I lovers, don't, perhaps lovers. <laughs> yes, I, I remember that meme back when when it came out. People were like it just kiss <laughs> Godzilla King Kong. We you don't have to you don't have to defend your heterosexuality. We support you in your interspecies homoeroticism. Um, Make love, not war. <laughs> Sorry, distracted. But um, uh, it, it, the funny thing is, is we're going to see a your next reunion of sorts because Simon Barrett is going to be writing mm. uh, Godzilla X King Kong New Empire. And uh, I'm very interested to see that. But the thing, the belief I have is you have this trend that was going for a while through the uh, um, uh, the, the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And, of course, but I would like, okay, first I'll get, but the, what this trend is, is you take a low-budget director. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> who's good at pulling everything out of their budget and putting it up on the screen. And then 
you give them a huge fucking budget mm -hmm. and you get all of it up on the screen. Yep. And um, that's what they did with Adam Wingard and Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, and whether or not you like Godzilla versus King Kong, you have to admit that they did a great job getting as much of it up there oh, yeah. as they could. Well, um, it's, it's, it's like the Spike Lee analogy of, of filmmaking pizza versus filmmaking hot dogs. Where, uh, where if, if you, you're in your standard Hollywood flick with a big budget is made like a hot dog where you don't see the process, you just see the film. Mm -hmm. Whereas a low budget, well put together, independent film with that stretching the budget mindset is like a pizza. You see all the ingredients on the pizza right there in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is, um, that leads to a more interesting film in the long run. Yeah, it's nice to see where everything's going. I mean, once you involve CGI, it's very easy for the the that budget to get lost in there, and you start to ask, where did all the money go? Yep. Um, but it, it that's because you don't see the crews and crews of people that sometimes are involved in mm. puppetry or CGI or all the other mm -hmm. extra stuff. Um, but uh, um, it, it's, that's something that they, that they did uh, for a while in the Marvel movies mm -hmm. was they took these small budget directors and had them do big budget stuff. And I think, you, you know, somebody that didn't do that was DC mm. and, I'm kind of in the weeds here now talking about comic book movies, but it, I, I think it really helps because having those small budget directors, you know, they're a little bit more willing to listen to producers. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. But yeah. Well, we're running out of time here. Um, thank you for listening to the killer cabin. Um, What's our final thoughts on your next? My final thoughts are it's a great movie. If you still haven't seen it yet, despite us ruining every little aspect of it, still see it. Even if you know everything that's coming, still see it. Mm. Uh, it, it it's a good movie. I'm not going to tell you it's the best movie or anything because, I mean, there's... Small things are here or there. I can't find faults in it because I love it. <laughs> but um, I hardly suggest people watching it. it. It's it's a nice little home invasion movie. It doesn't waste a lot of time, and it gets right in there. I agree. I think that while it's not the perfect film, and I, I'm certainly not going to suggest that you put it on at a highbrow movie viewing party or, or that it, it deserves best in show at a film festival. I do think that it is a, a well put together film um, with uh, that. It, that keeps your interest not only in spite of its flaws, but I think also, also because of its flaws sometimes. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you want just a, a good movie to put on, um, at the end of a long day, 
to have some some ultra violence and some comedy. This is a good movie for that. Yeah. And before we go here, just a little teaser um, for our next uh, our next uh, uh, movie. I want to pitch something to you, Cat. What if there was a movie that starred uh, Star Trek Star Trek alum Anton Yelchin? Ooh. Now imagine that opposite to that was Sir Patrick Stewart as a fucking Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like the kind of movie I'm going to be interested in. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, I offer you Green Room. All right. Let's uh, check it out next next week. Uh, thanks for listening to The Killer Cabin. We are, of course, across from Camp Crystal Lake, about 10 miles west of Amityville. And we are going to wish you a very good night and good viewing. Yeah, good night, campers.